Hello and welcome to season number three of the Talking Spirits podcast. Once again, the break turned out to be much longer than I had planned. This project is a labor of love, which means that I can only do it when I have the time and space for it and when I really feel like doing it. This appears to be the case as we speak and accordingly I'm very happy that my first guest in this season is the excellent Canadian blues vocalist and artist Leila Zo. To me, Leila is one of the beacons of female energy in the worldwide blues scene and when we met for the first time in 2009, we became friends instantly. Over the years, we have played lots of shows together and have shared many experiences with each other and I'm very happy that our friendship is still ongoing. So it is today our very special pleasure to welcome you to a very honest and deep conversation about music and the countless different aspects of life and our existence in a constantly changing world. I'm quite confident that you will enjoy the ride and I'm looking forward to seeing you again at the end of the episode. Hi, Leila. Armin. Yeah, hi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, welcome. Thank you so much. We did it. We're here. We're doing it. I'm very excited about this because uh, I can tell you I've definitely taken the time to listen to a bunch of your podcasts. And I think it's so wonderful that you, you know, fulfilled this dream of yours to have this this podcast and and a lot of the guests you've had it's been so interesting to listen to their stories and then you have such great questions so i'm just thrilled to be a part of it so thank you very much and uh, yeah then i hope i won't disappoint you <laughs> and- <laughs> i doubt that's possible you know we've been friends for you know for years and so there's a certain relaxed vibe already because of that so i think it's going to be great yeah it's true and it's a huge pleasure and honor to me to have you today Great Thank you room. so much. Thank you. We are living in quite complex times, so to speak. Yes, that's so. That's an understatement these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And my first question would be, how are you today? And how are you dealing with everything that's happening in the world right now? Yeah, I think I was just reflecting on that a bit today. Because I, yeah, I have a bit of a strange day today because I changed my flight again uh, to Canada and I haven't seen my family in two and a half years. And so I change it to next year again to the spring. And there's a bunch of different reasons for my choice to do that. Obviously, some of them have to do with travel requirements and entry requirements into Canada and the way that the Canadian government has been handling the situation that we're all in since 2020, you know, and then there's other reasons but you know i think that we're all in a position where we have to reflect on the positive things that have come out of the last few years and so today i was really trying to do that because obviously it was a difficult decision to make again and there's been a lot of that happening for me in the past few years with difficult decisions being made about canceling gigs and when i was able to go back on stage again i still was saying no to doing shows because i didn't agree with some of what was happening or what my fans were being asked to do to enter into the venues, et cetera. And so it's just been a time of making difficult decisions, you know, and I think that when I reflect and look at the last few years for myself, I try to focus on the good that's come out of, out of everything. And for myself, there's been a lot of good stuff. And uh, one of those things is I've learned to become more patient. Um, I've realized that 
you know, any ego that was wrapped up in the music business was easy to let go of when my career changed so dramatically. And I had to sort of walk away a bit from the music business and from even the music in, in itself, because I wasn't able to go on stage for so long. And, you know, also letting go of social media, which I started to see it, you know, for what it was. And I saw it a lot differently than, than I had in the past years. And, and so I was also able to shed the ego that is involved in going on the social media all the time and, you know, posting photos and, you know, I miss the, the conversation and communication I had with fans that way. But I also think that my fans understand why I stepped away from it. I've been really transparent and honest through the past few years about my feelings about things. And I've been very lucky, I think, and, and I'm really grateful that many people have supported me in those choices, you know, not to go back on stage when I could have because I disagreed with, you know, testing or, you know, masks for the audience members. And I really feel that when we reflect on the positive things that we've been through, you know, we're going to see that these changes happen for a reason and that if we can come out stronger and better, you know, then, then there's no reason to look at it only with pain, you know, and, and of course there's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of suffering. There's been a lot of tears on all sides. And, uh, there's so much I could say on this topic, but I think when I reflect today on the fact that I changed my flight again and won't see my family for even longer, I have to really embrace, you know, myself and, and my courage, my strength, and really in, in a lot of ways for me, standing by my ethical and moral viewpoint, because that's been so important to me. It's felt like a real test, you know, that this time in my life is a test. It's about standing for what I believe. And I mean, I've always been kind of an outspoken artist or musician. People have seen that there were times when I was speaking out about what I believed through my music or also via my website or social media, for example, when I was, you know, not putting my music on Spotify for a long time. And then I finally, you know, gave in and decided that Spotify was a place that a lot of the young people were getting their music from. So I decided to finally put the Gemini album up there a year after its release. And, you know, I always reflect and I'm always open and honest. Uh, and I think that this is something that I have to look at myself and be proud of myself for, especially through such a difficult time when things have become so confusing and there's just been so many cross signals and mixed information for people. And I think something I said to a lot of friends and family over the past few years also is that you must go with your intuition in life sometimes. And instinct and intuition is something that we all are born with. Now, some people have it, you know, if you look at the indigenous people of Canada, you know, there's, there's uh, people that can walk out into the forest and they naturally have an instinct that they know which direction to walk in. They have an instinct about what plants to eat and not to eat. And this is something that's evolutionary that just is, you know, brought down the line from people to people. And, you know, I don't know, a lot of us are losing that natural instinct and intuition by, you know, using technology too much or by drifting away from culture and tradition. But I really think that all I've been able to count on in the past few years in between all the information that I was absorbing and the different experiences that people around me were having is to make decisions based on my intuition and my instinct. You know, I still feel lucky that 
I think I can trust that instinct and that intuition. And something told me, you know, today to to move the flight again because, you know, you just never know with the winter and the fall months what could change. And we're still in a kind of uncertain times. I know that for many people, they sort of feel, oh, but everything's back to normal and it's also relaxed now and and everything's fine. And, you know, and I would love to have that same viewpoint. And definitely I've become more relaxed than I was, say, yeah, half a year even ago, you know, or a year ago. But I also am skeptical still, because I still think that we are in a great time of transition. For each individual, there is kind of maybe a sixth sense about something big changing uh, with, with our world and how we will all live in it together. And the great divides that we see in in those who are more powerful and have more ability to make those rules and i do believe that the good has already won and that you know there is light at the end of of any darkness so i i truly believe that whether i'm there to see it or not you know whether whether i'm still around for it or not that that god wins you know and I also feel that the reason there have been moments when I was just, you know, breaking in two and my head was splitting, you know, just with, with all of the feelings and thoughts that I still just had to think about my nieces and nephews. You know, they are young, you know, they're all young children and I still want to hold to my, my viewpoint and beliefs to try to yeah, create a better world for them. And to, I could easily say, oh, you know, but I've had a good run of things. And, you know, someone had said that to me at one point, like, we're lucky we're we've, you know, made it this far, we've had a good run, you know, things will be harder in the future. And, you know, and that's the problem. We need to stop thinking so much only about ourselves. And we need to think about each other, but not just in the perspective of, of health and sickness, but of everything, we need to begin to open our hearts and become all of us empaths you know i mean i was born an empath so i've always kind of carried the weight of the world on my shoulders and that's been good at times for me but it's also very difficult especially in the past few years and so yeah i could go on and on and on about this topic but i really feel that i like to focus on the positive and the good things that have come out of it for myself i've grown stronger i've become more patient I think as a musician, I've always been resilient and also able to adapt. And I'm sure you understand that as well, that musicians often are put in situations in their jobs and in life where they need to adapt constantly, either to new hotels, new venues, new sound men, you know, new situations. Um, and so our business has been hit hard, but there's no point in only specifically talking about, you know, the music business because it's happened to so many people. And so... It's good to hold each other, all of us, in in that kind of place of compassion and and love because that's all we've got, you know. I I absolutely agree, and you know, I mean, you have put out so many aspects now that I have to think about on which to focus. <laughs> well, that that's true. When when I do interviews, I often I'm known for. Uh, Long answers. I was thinking that what you just said when it all started, I was I was thinking very often, oh, I'm actually quite lucky as a musician 
since you know we are we are used to adjusting and we are used to dealing with difficult situations and and difficult times so you know we have been there before i mean in a in a different way maybe there was a help especially in the beginning and i think what you what you said in general you know to that the perspective of trying to focus on the good things and the positive things of which there are definitely a lot as well this is actually what we you know this the only thing we can do because I, i'm i'm just talking for myself because if we don't then you know we, we cannot do anything anymore which would be productive or good or constructive positive however you want to name it yes i know for myself and it just made me think about something that past experiences definitely helped me in some ways to prepare even though I really felt unprepared in March of 2020 when my tour was suddenly, you know, parts of it were being canceled and we were, you know, in Austria supposed to have a show that night. And then all of a sudden I'm telling my band that they need to meet me at the van in 15 minutes because we need to leave Austria as soon as possible because they're going to lock down Austria and, and shut the borders and we needed to get back to Germany. Um, and so all of those feelings, like it was very, you know, I felt unprepared and yet I still was able somehow to make the best decisions I could for my, for my team and for myself. And that's another story, but it was just making me think about when I had back surgery, uh, you know, many years ago. And there was a point then when I had to cancel the making of the album, The Lily, which, uh, was produced by Henrik Freischlatter and still one of my favorite albums that I've made. And At that time, it felt just so crazy to cancel the recording, to have to cancel the tour. You know, I was in Canada at the time and I couldn't walk. And so it had been coming for a while that my back was bad and that I was struggling on tour with pain. But I thought that it was sciatica. I had no idea that I had a slipped disc at the time. And so when I got back to Canada for, you know, holidays with my family, it's like my body knew that I was home and suddenly I just couldn't walk after a week of being there. And so then it was, you know, progressed to appointments, you know, to try to find out what was happening and then inevitably to surgery. And I was very lucky to have surgery quickly and all of these things. But the reason I bring it up is because there was a point at which I was still struggling with letting go of the fact that, you know, the music business was like waiting for me and I was stuck in this bed at my mom's house, you know, when she was bringing me sandwiches and soup, you know, and listening to music was just killing me. Like I could not, you know, I wasn't healing. I wasn't able to let go. And the longer that I struggled and didn't let go, the more difficult it became, the more pain I felt physically, but mostly emotionally. And there was a point at which I realized you must let go of this, you know, dream of music and of this album, The Lily, and and of this tour that's booked. And, you know, for someone like me at that time, especially because for so many years, my music is really what kept me going day to day. And it was what I had put all of my time, energy and effort into. And I'd moved many times and I'd sacrificed so many things for it. It was so hard to let go. and. Probably I, when I think back to it, it was just one of the more difficult experiences I had. And as soon as I let go, I suddenly felt lighter. As soon as I let go, you know, I started to heal. You know, I started to focus on listening to different kind of music completely and, you know, like pan flutes and, you know, crystal meditation CDs and stuff, you know. 
And I suddenly started to feel better. You know, I only focused on my healing and my health. I completely forgot about the music business for that period of time because I had to. And it was the best thing that I could have done for myself. And I didn't know if I would ever be able to come back. I didn't know if I would ever get back on stage. I didn't know, you know, if all of those years that I'd put into music would would just be a memory or if I would continue on. And I remember still thinking that when I finally was able to walk again and get on the airplane and fly back to Montreal, where I was living at the time, and then eventually, you know, flew to Germany, made the lily, and not long after that, decided to move to Germany and pursue my career. And so many wonderful things happened after I did get back on my feet. And I really believed that something bigger than me was involved in all of that. But also, of course, it was the knowing in that moment that I had to let go. And I really feel that I've gone through something similar in the past few years, like so many people have, where you realize if you don't let go of some of those identities that you've labeled yourself, or if you don't let go of the old you and embrace, you know, who you're becoming now in this kind of new world, quote unquote, you will be destroyed. You will be torn apart, you know? And even with my life in Canada and my life in Holland, there was also a point at which I had to do that because I really kept feeling torn between my family in Canada, my life there, my friends there, and then my life here in Holland. And since I just was not able to travel and and certainly wasn't easy to fly into Canada and there was a chance I wouldn't even be able to fly out because of the rules that were in place... At some point, I realized I must embrace my life in in Europe even more than I had before and be grateful for everything that I have here and that I knew at some point when the time is right, I will see my family again. I know when the time is right that I would get back on stage again. And in fact, my first show in two and a half years is coming up at the end of August, you know, of this year, 2022. And I had many moments where I wasn't even sure if I would ever be able to get back on stage again under the conditions that they were offering me. And now that I can do a show, you know, outdoors where I know that fans can come freely, that everyone is included, that no one is turned away to that concert and I can get on stage and and perform and as a guest of Henrik Freischlader and his band, um, you know, that, that for me is like, it's going to be a dream. I'm going to be nervous as hell, but it's going to be a dream come true just to be able to get back on stage and sing again. But also I take it with a grain of salt that I will have to wait and see how I feel after I do that. And, And it will tell me so much after getting on stage again, after two and a half years, because you do change and your identity does change in many ways after you go through something like this. I'm still always going to be Leila Zoe. I'm always going to be a singer. I'm always going to be a creator. I'm always going to be a musician, a poet, you know, a performer, an entertainer, all those things are true. But, you know, I'm also many other things. And I hope that lots of other people have come to the same conclusion when their jobs or careers were ripped away from them in the past few years that we then have to find, you know, and create kind of new identities for ourselves. And I think I'm also very lucky because my husband was able to support me. His job was unchanged in the past few years. And I really felt for musicians that I knew were on their own and, you know, really struggling to pay their bills and to survive because I know that without my husband, I would have been in a similar situation and who knows where I would be right now if I would still be in Europe or where I would have ended up, you know? So I really feel, you know, lucky 
to be able to reflect on all of these aspects of the past few years and feel more gratitude now than than I did because there was definitely a lot of moments of anger and sadness also in the past few years. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's quite a natural reaction, but you were talking earlier about intuition and and empathy and as you know i think i'm like that too very much and as you were talking about the situation in canada before recording the lily you know once you let go and you trust your intuition things fall into place eventually it's not said that it might be easy but especially in retrospect we have the chance to see how everything still makes sense somehow and uh, as you mentioned the the concert end of August. I'm really looking forward because I think it has been many years that me and you was on the same stage together. <laughs> so, Yes, it has been <laughs> a long time and we've had some great moments on stage together over the years. And That's true. I mean, also, I would agree 100% that you're a, you know, also an empath and a very, you know, a person that, that sees people for who they are and, and feels for them. And has has your own back, you know, you have your own backstory of and history of moments when you've been tested by different things and challenged. And I think that it's made your heart grow larger. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to you. And you have such a large social circle, you know, that is really of a lot of genuine friends and not just, you know, kind of musical acquaintances, which is what I would say about more of the people I know in the music business. You know, I think that a, a lot of people genuinely care about you and know that that you reciprocate that feeling and it makes it easier to talk to you and that's why i think the podcast was such a great idea i think brilliant really because i've seen all of these different you know people that you've already had on the podcast and i think everyone feels so at ease that they're able to open up about you know deeper subjects like i mean i'm always open and willing to speak with people about how i feel about things whether it's music or something more personal, but I think with you, it's it's definitely easier to touch on some of those subjects. You know? Yeah, thank you very much. But I mean, you know, I, I fr from my point of view, I consider myself very grateful and and happy and lucky for for things to be exactly like you described. I don't even know how to you know how to describe it. It's just the way it always has been, and of course, with time, it's evolving. But yeah, but but you know, maybe to to return to something you said earlier, there's so many good and positive aspects which we can draw energy from and hope and and which is helping us not to lose faith in the good. I think you know, you know I, I think we're definitely seeing a time when a lot more is coming to the surface in the mainstream, and I'm not just talking about the media, but just in general, people are discussing and open to different ideas and might, I don't want to say, you know, that it's only about mistrust in authority or the governments, but also to see and reflect and have different perspectives than they maybe did before, you know. And so that brings people to new ideas and to have discussions about how a better world could look, you know. Um, and that's not just when it comes to authority or banking, but also with the environment and so many issues that we're seeing kind of brought to the table, but only seeing, you know, one perspective a lot of the time in our faces. And that's why, you, you know, it's so beautiful to see so many people starting like alternative 
media sources and alternative podcasts and alternative journalism. And we start to see more clearly and discuss the fact that a lot of mainstream journalism and media and information that we receive is actually coming from, you know, uh, organizations that have been bought and paid for by, you know, corporations who have particular invested, you know, ideas that they want to, you know, I mean, like in the beginning, if we think about what radio was originally, it was used for propaganda in wartime. And luckily it brought lots of wonderful things uh, to us like music and, and these wonderful stories, like listening to war of the worlds. You know, if you were a kid back in the fifties, you had no TV, you know, so you were listening to some great science fiction story through the radio, but originally, you know, radio was really used for propaganda. And so I think it's important and special in many ways that we're now in a time when people start to reflect on that. People that may have never considered that before will reflect on that now. Yeah, at least at least we have the chance or the possibility to do so. And I agree with you know that that I mean we can can always come back to what you said earlier. It's it's there's so much good. Yeah, there, I I really feel that that there's a lot of good, and of course, right now when you're feeling more relaxed, it's it's easier to say that. But I I do feel that. Yeah, I've had like one really interesting thing came up for me recently about this sort of thing that my dad used to say. You know, only the strong will survive, and I was having a few discussions. Uh, with a few friends about this uh, when I was, you know, kind of going through that in my mind. And I just, you know, the perspective of, of strength and what strength really is. Now, you know, as only the strong will survive from the perspective that maybe my dad was talking about when I was growing up, you know, I won't probably survive if, if from the, from that perspective, you know, um, I may be too weak. I may be too sensitive. I may be, yeah, the kind of person that would, you know, not be able to tolerate seeing terrible things happening to someone else and get involved. And, you know, I think like there's been so many questions that I've asked myself over the past few years about who am I, you know, and what's important? Who do I want to be? You know, if this was my last day, if this was my last month, if this was my last year, who do I want to be? And I hope that more people reflect on that, you know, and uh, see life as precious right now. But when it comes to like, yeah, only the strong will survive. Well, it's really interesting because what about those who perished in wars? What about those who perished in difficult times? What about those millions who starved? And, and I think on that and go, each person's journey is just as valuable. Each person's beginning and end is just as valuable. And what if to survive and just continue in misery is not actually the answer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if, you know, there's strength, you know, uh, in, in being one of the more sensitive people in being someone that, that is more fragile and because we're all here for a reason, you know, and yeah, I agree. I, feel strongly that you should never let anyone tell you what that reason is. And there's sort of been a lot of that going on too, you know, tell people how to live, what they should feel, you know, uh, when they should feel guilt, when they should feel sadness, you know, when they should feel compassion. And I think that that's just, 
really bullshit because again, it comes back to instinct. Yeah, the, these kind of things they cannot be really uh, they they should not and cannot be conditioned. I, I agree. And you know, s since you since you brought up strength, I mean, there's strength in a Darwinistic sense, like yeah. like I think your your father meant, but. From my point of view, real strength is including so many different aspects of human nature and, and ways of being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but maybe let's go back in time a little bit. Yeah, sounds like. great. <laughs> so how did music come into your life? Yeah, and then that takes me also to my father because, you know, growing up with my mother and father when I was young and then they separated um, and eventually I went to live with my dad. They both love music. They both have great taste in music. But my father specifically, you know, he played guitar around the house and he played harmonica. We would walk along the beach together in the evening and I would be picking up moon shells from the sand and he would be playing, you know, somewhere over the rainbow or something on his harmonica. And, you know, I just grew up with my dad's love of music and his incredible record collection, you know, featuring all kinds of artists and also remember, you know, listening to Robert Johnson and Van Morrison and, you know, Muddy Waters and Billie Holiday, you know, the band, you know, so many great musicians that he would play. And back then it was on tape cassette, you know, <laughs> while we were having dinner, you know, and then also putting on the records, the vinyl sometimes. And I would, you know, sneak one of his records downstairs to my record player when I was in my early teens. And I was, you know, getting deeply then also into Yeah, Santana and, you know, Led Zeppelin and The Doors. And, you know, I mean, the musical journey was such a wonderful one. And I really am grateful to both of my parents, but specifically to my dad for, you know, kind of passing down his love of music to me. And of course, I always say to people in interviews when I talk about this, that some kids hate their parents' music, you know, <laughs> some kids, you know, their parents try to introduce them to something and they just go, oh my God, what is this? You know, and they want to listen to what the newest, latest thing is. And of course, in school, all the kids were listening to, you know, New Kids on the Block or Paul Abdul or Millie Vanilli or whatever it was at the time, you know, and I was listening to, you know, all of this stuff from the 60s and 70s and blues rock and blues. And I didn't know until, you know, a bit later in life when I, I mean, I sang in my dad's band for a short time and I should mention that um, when I was, you know, under the drinking age in Canada. And so I was able to come out on stage and sing a few songs and then go right back into the backstage. Um, I was, I guess, maybe 14 at that age. And that was a wonderful experience as well. But I don't think I really understood or knew about my love of the blues until a bit later when I you know, got into a bar band and started playing every weekend on Vancouver Island because that was when I was doing Top 40. We were kind of playing a little bit of everything, you know, from Macy Gray to Shania Twain to Janis Joplin. And I really resonated and enjoyed singing most the Janis Joplin stuff, the ACDC, you know, like anything that really had like some big balls on it, as they say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I started to really yeah realize that for me blues and blues rock was was really the music that I loved to sing to perform and to also a lot of times to listen to the most you know although I really love to listen to all kinds of music I'm really a big a big music buff I mean 
recently I went to see Alanis Morissette and then I went to see Guar, you know, a month later. So, <laughs> you know, so I really have an eclectic taste in music, but I think uh, my dad started it for me and it's been a wonderful journey. And I don't think when I was really young that I actually saw myself being a musician. I remember going to music festivals a few times with my dad and thinking how cool it was. And at the time he was doing sound um, for some bands like at the Vancouver Folk Festival. And uh, I just loved it. I mean, I just, the feeling that you get from seeing live music is like nothing else, you know, especially as a child. And that's why I love that in Europe and also in Canada that you can go to festivals and take children. I like in Europe that you can also bring children to the bars, you know, and, and that kids can see live music from a young age, because I think it's such an important piece to the puzzle. And I'm always excited when I see younger people also coming out to, to blues shows, because I think to myself, you know, they could be inspired, you know, to look deeper into this kind of music, because I really think that yeah, there's a heart and a feeling with blues that I just have never felt or experienced the same with a lot of other genres, you know, so, but anyways, I'm kind of rambling, which I tend to do, but, but, you know, originally my dad, and then it kind of went from there. And I mean, I, I was doing uh, some school musicals, then I was, I left home very young, and I hadn't finished school yet. Then I was doing some poetry readings in the East Vancouver area. And, you know, fell into a dark time for a while there after leaving uh, my dad. And I guess I was 16 years old then. And then, yeah, when I went back to Vancouver Island and kind of reconnected with my mom, who I hadn't seen in years, uh, I was in my, yeah, maybe 19 or 20 when I started that that bar band. And that bar band, you know, I have to say, I had also taken a year of jazz vocal in college, but I learned so much more from being in a bar band than I did from school because you really learn what is necessary, you know, and how to work with other people, how to perform under shitty circumstances, like with bad monitors and bad sound people and drunk people falling on the stage and grabbing the tambourine. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know so I really learned a lot uh, in my early twenties when I was in the bar band. And then at some point, you know, I outgrew it. I wanted to do my own material. I wanted to do my own songs. I didn't want to do cover songs anymore. And after visiting this Hornby Island blues workshop, where I met a bunch of the great blues musicians of Canada, like David Gogo and Ken Ham and, you know, Chris Whitley and uh, Susie Vinnick and like, you know, all these great people that were teaching at the workshop. And a lot of them told me, you know, if you wanted to have a career in music, you could. And I think just hearing that from, you know, people that I respected at the time, it was the right time and place. And so I left uh, the bar band and I started to, you know, focus 100% on the writing of my own songs and, you know, playing guitar a bit and singing at coffee houses. And, and then I put out my first album in 2005 and the rest is history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. I mean, but if, if we focus on the blues a little bit, I mean, I know since we are friends for many years now, I know that you, you, you listen to many different styles of music and you are very open-minded, but yes. at the same time, you have dedicated your life to the blues. Yes. Could you elaborate a little bit on this feeling which made you choose this path for yourself? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of, there's been moments when I thought, a big part of it was because it was therapeutic for me. And there was definitely moments when I would walk on stage and by singing that music, 
I would somehow be healing myself. You know, I really needed it. You know, I had to go on stage and there was definitely some periods in my life when I, I would get very depressed if I didn't have a show, you know, I would almost be to the point of feeling suicidal if I didn't have a concert, you know, and I think a few times in my life when things were particularly dark and bleak, you know, music really did save my life, you know, because I would think, oh, well, you can't do something stupid this week because you have a gig next week, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know <laughs> literally at the times when I was at my, in my worst headspace, you know. And I think that when it comes to the blues, it's about an outpouring of emotion for me. Now, there's all kinds of blues, as you know, and my blues has also changed over the years. It's always been kind of a more modern interpretation. But for my blues, it was always about trying to bring out emotion in people. And I think that's why, like, I resonated with, you know, some of the artists I mentioned earlier, because... You know, if you listen to Janis Joplin, as as I said in, in a few interviews, you know, I also wanted to rip people's hearts out, but also put them back in again tenderly. And, you know, for myself, you know, I, I, I'd said in an interview years ago with Rocks Magazine in, in Germany, you know, something about like, it felt good to bring, you know, a, a grown man to tears. And of course, they kind of misinterpreted that in the interview when they wrote it, you know. <laughs> Um, but what I meant by that was just that when you can bring someone that's working every week, a 40 hour, you know, or, or 60 hour, whatever it is, work week, you know, um, to their knees and to really get in touch with deep feelings, there's something special about that. And I personally feel that that is the purpose of art, you know, whether it's a, a beautiful painting, uh, a heartfelt poem, you know, or a song that great art is supposed to make you feel something. Now, of course, there's blues that should make you just want to dance all night, you know, and, and that's really special and important too. But my blues has never been that kind of blues. It's always been the blues that really tries to dig deeper into what you're feeling and what's going on inside your heart and bring that out. And for that reason, I know my fans have followed me through thick and thin and through all kinds of, of different music on the albums at times and different, you know, personal traumas and highs and lows in the music business. And I think that some people, it's not their taste. It's not their kind of thing, but you know, I, I used to feel it was kind of just selfish and for myself. And if people wanted to come along for the ride, they could, you know, but then there was a period where I started to realize that I really, wanted to do it for other people that it was therapy for both of us for me and for the audience you know yeah and yeah i mean and then there's been moments where yeah i mean just like in any business or job it became too repetitive and, and it became harder for me sometimes to really bring out the the most genuine side and so sometimes it's good when then there's a break and you're able to reflect on it you go, because you never want to find yourself sort of doing the same dance moves or singing the same line again. And, you know, so that is the journey that we're on when we mix art with profession, you know, when we make it a job. And so that's been a journey for me too, but that's the wonderful part. I think also of making records is being able to experiment and try new things in the music. And also by working with different people that were writing the music for me, that was also just incredible to have these kind of different experiences with different people that were producing and try new things and push myself and push my voice, you know, to new places. I remember when I 
was first singing, I always was using kind of the big voice and it was easy for me to sing with the big voice, you know? And at some point when I was working, you know, I think with all of the producers at different times, people pushed me to use the softer side, but definitely when I was working with Henrik Freischlatter, I think on the first album, Sleep Little Girl, you know, he was pushing me to try to sing and approach some of the songs from a softer side. And I remember listening to some of the mixes afterwards and going, oh my God, I hate how my voice sounds. You know, it doesn't sound good. And then he said, just wait, you know, it's, it's going to be beautiful. And then, it, you know, later I would hear the, the master and it was beautiful, you know, and I would say, oh my God, is that me? And, and, and then you would have, you know, fans come up and react, you know, to songs that you felt that maybe you didn't sing as strong on. And they were just brought to tears and they just loved it. And, you know, so, and this is without the the aspect of the lyrics or the story of the song, but just the vocals themselves. And so I learned that by using both sides of my voice, I could really bring people to sort of a climax or a kind of, yeah, musical orgasm, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> also, I think, you know, like when you use contrast in the way you, you are doing now, or you have been yes. doing for the last couple of years, Actually, it makes everything, you know, the effect of every aspect becomes much stronger than it yes. would be if you would just go for one of it, you know, for, for yes. one dynamic extreme, so to speak. Yes, I think that's also just part of growing up and maturing. But I know that for myself, I was always a bit, yeah, not controlling, but I was definitely very untrusting of working with other people in the beginning. And so for that reason, yeah, it was hard. To, I didn't want to listen to what other people had to say. And so working with producers was difficult, you know, in the beginning. And then when I did start to co-write more often with people, you know, be produced and took into consideration what they would say and tried it and then would find that there was really good results and that I was also happy to you know, say, have a break on stage and sing something that was a little bit easier on my throat or something, you know, then, it, you know, I started to grow up. Really, that's what it is. In the business, you have to, you know, it's a journey, you know. And so I think working with people can be one of the best things that can happen for an artist that sees themselves as like an individual kind of powerhouse and doesn't want to trust and doesn't want to you know, share in that journey. It's like the best thing you can do. And even when I did the Blues Caravan uh, with Thomas Roof and Roof Records, working with two other vocalists, female vocalists, you know, at first I was not sure how that tour would go, if I would learn anything, if I would enjoy it, you know. And then when I was on stage, like singing with these other women, like it was such a great feeling, you know, and like just to do harmonies instead of always be the focal point and You know, so I learned also a lot from that. And I think when we share in the journey of music with people, it's it's really a wonderful thing, you know, because we can learn. And that, that's really reflective of anything in life, that when we open ourselves to, you know, working together on something, letting other people also contribute to our story, to our vision, you know, that beautiful things can come out of it. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, what I think what, what's, what's most beautiful about music in that sense is that actually, you know, this, this way of perceiving it or like, you know, the, this way, this type of access to, to doing music and creating, it, it never stops. You know, it's a yeah, lifelong yeah. thing. So 
It's yes. really beautiful. You mentioned uh, Henrik Freischlader a couple of moments ago. Yes. Um, and you guys have, uh, after, you know, after some years of a break, you have uh, created a new album together. And the album is called The World Could Change. Yes. It's just exciting just to hear you say the title out loud because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been uh, a work in progress. And, and, you know, now that we've all been through the past few years, I think everybody's slowed down a bit and, and everything's a little bit more relaxed pace, you know, and deadlines don't matter as much. What What's always mattered is the quality of the of the music when it came to working with Henrik. And I really admire and appreciate that with him. Um, but I think also over time, he and I have both also grown up and changed quite a bit. And so with this album, you know, it's it's been a, a slow but gradual process of working on it. And I'm just really excited when people can hear it because I feel that every album that I've made is always kind of telling a story about my perspective of what's been happening in that year or the past few years or whatever. And that's why I don't look back on any of my albums with any regrets, just like any of the choices I make in life, because every one of them is an opportunity for, for learning. But I specifically felt after coming back together with Henrik and working with him again, because we have a long history, um, you know, that I was just grateful again to work with such a high class musician and also someone that I could go into the studio with and have so much fun. You know, when I was working with him in the past and also with Martin Meinschaefer on the Sleep Little Girl album, You know, I, I was sick in the studio. I'd come from Canada to Germany for the first time. And of course, I ended up sick. And then I was, you know, feeling a bit stressed to record the album. And then with the Lily, I had just gone through like this back surgery. And that was just, you know, such an amazing record to make. So many feelings came out. And, and now, you know, again, to come together in a time where... Yeah, I don't think working with anyone else and saying everything I've said on this album would have worked. You know, I, I feel like coming back together with Henrik, it was like perfect timing. And it's someone that I knew I could depend on to let me have complete artistic freedom in my lyrics, you know, and, and also, though, when I went into the studio would push me to be my best. And, you know, even if that meant singing something, you know, quite a few times, which sometimes I hate because I'm not really loving being a studio singer sometimes. On this record, I particularly enjoyed it because he was really pushing the best out of me. And because I'd worked with him in the past and knew, you know, the difference between producing my own albums and working with him uh, or other producers, I knew that he would, you know, push me to my to my maximum, but that it would end in great results, you know, and It feels great when we're working because sometimes in music after enough years, like I said before, some things come too easily. And so I want to be tested. I want to be pushed, you know, to learn. I want to be pushed to try new things with my voice, you know, and especially after such a long break, like, of course, during the last few years uh, with everything that was happening, I wasn't able to get on stage, but I did release Uh, an album, Nowhere Left to Go, which I self-produced. And that was really an interesting project because I had everybody record from home studios because, you know, everybody was in lockdown. And so I learned a lot of even more about communicating and trying to get the best out of musicians um, from, you know, the perspective of nobody being able to come into the studio together and see each other and play together. You know, that was a complicated record to make, but it was a lot of fun. And I also released a book of poetry And so 
you know, I tried to stay busy and continue creating, but there was this in the back of my mind, these songs that I knew I wanted to, yeah, that I, that I needed to get out, you know, that I, and I was writing a lot of poetry over the past few years and sharing it with, you know, the people, the fans that were on my Patreon. And, you know, that's kind of what pushed me to do the poetry book or do a second edition of the poetry book to add some of that new, those new works. But I knew there was like this album that just had to come out of me. And Henrik was definitely the right person, you know, for this. And it's funny because when we got back together, we were listening to some old demos that we'd made back in, I think, 2015 or something. And for an album that never ended up, you know, uh, happening. And a couple of those songs we, we decided to use for this album. And with very few modifications, because somehow a few of those songs actually were speaking still about like what's happening today, <laughs> like which was just, it was like literally mind blowing. Like we, I went back and listened to a couple of the songs I'd written then. And I just said like, oh my God, this song is, you know, speaking directly to me about like today's world, you know? And so, I mean, I guess that's always been a bit of a theme in my albums that there's been you know, a little bit of, yeah, maybe political reflection or whatever, but there's a song specifically called Man Behind the Curtain, and that was written, you know, in like 2015 or so, or whatever it was, yeah, now, trying to remember, uh, I guess it would have been around then, and and that uh, that song, you know, really still sings true today, so we put it on the record, you know, I and mean, of course we re-recorded everything, but the lyrics remain the same. And so I think that this album is also really special because it's almost like it got started years ago, but it wasn't the right time for it to come out. And then it, you know, stopped. And then now we came back together and it was like, it was the right time for those songs and all of the other songs that we wrote, you know, just in the past year so. It's really special and magical. And I'm actually just very excited about the release, which I think we are planning for the end of October. Now, I don't know if I should put a specific date on it because it could change. But right now the plan is for end of October release. And as soon as I, you know, have the exact release date, then I'm going to put it on my website blog and all those usual places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, I, I had the chance to listen to the album many times and I really love it for many reasons. But maybe maybe we can focus on the lyrics for a little bit. Sure, sounds great. I think, you know, in earlier times, actually any form of art and music in particular uh, used to have the power of being a mirror of the times and societies we are living in. And somehow it seems to me that over the last maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years, this aspect, which I consider to be very crucial, is almost gone now. You know, like many artists yeah. are choosing to mainly entertain the audience, yeah. uh, which can cause their outputs to be rather superficial. And on the other hand, you know, the possibility of telling a story, making people think, saying things which need to be said, is not used that often anymore, at least not, at least not on the big scale, like in the pop business. Absolutely. Um, and uh, when I, you know, when I listen to to your lyrics, and I mean in general, but also especially on the new album, you are telling stories about people you are connected to. You are dealing with the hardships which are a part of life. You are addressing the state of our society, but you know you, you also manage to convey a message of love and hope. Would you be willing to elaborate? 
on your perspective on on lyrics and the whole topic yeah i mean yeah now i've made so many albums and i really think that my writing has gotten better over the years but it's always about the music too that pulls those lyrics out of me and i don't know if i could have you know written an album like this if it was any other time and yet somehow the songs also feel like they could have they 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 are speaking about time as a whole you know i mean like you know that like that there is no specific place or time that that it's like feelings that i've always had but that come to the surface now i don't know how to explain it but because I, especially when i reflect on some of a couple of the songs being written in the past you know it's like it's like an album is being born just at the right time and i hope always that when i'm making a record that i'm being my genuine self you know and i think that when in the very very beginning of making albums you know when i had the idea more to like you know go to songwriters and co-write with them or to have songwriters pitch songs to me you know when i wasn't as confident about my own writing um that you can feel it in those songs it's just not the same so after years of making records i feel like it couldn't have happened at a better time that i'd be able to put the pen to the paper and open up and be so clear and yet yeah compassionate somehow with the songwriting because of course there's been moments like i said through the past few years when i was angry or sad and i didn't want to only convey those emotions and if i did convey those emotions i wanted to do it in a gentle way or in a way where it was about like you said the storytelling and i think you know the world could change that specific song even is is an important one to mention now that i get on that topic because in that song i'm sort of talking about the current state in many ways but i'm also talking about old wartime and about uh, a young boy and a young girl trying to survive in in a desperate situation and you know surviving basically an old time war and so the music spoke to me so deeply with that song because it felt like that sort of old time polka sound or something or this you know, well you know and and so it it felt like i was being transported to another time and then i knew you know if i put lyrics to this i want to speak about yeah bring that old time feeling to also a current current state with the lyrics so you know without going too deeply into each song i can just say that i feel that i did a good job of speaking my truth without you know slapping people in the face with it you know because i think it's important when we listen to albums and there's anything of political content in it sometimes for there to be like you said more of a story than just of like facts or like you know this kind of like beating people down with like painful messages you know like and i think i did a good job of that because you know of course there's a tendency sometimes to be a little bit too preachy you know um and even on stage there's been times when i've been preachy even in things that i've said in between songs and you know because my perspective was important to me and there, in the past few years there's been like moments when i was really like wanting to get my viewpoint across and felt you know angry you know and and what i've really learned in the past few years too is that you must put your perspective out there and your viewpoint is important but you can never convince someone until they're ready 
And so with music, it's a more gentle way of saying what you feel. And if it opens someone's heart, then that's, then, then your job is done. You know? Yes. I mean, I, I can relate to everything what you said. And, you know, from, as I just said, from having had the chance to listen to the album many times now, I would say that the ones who love your music, they are in for a very special treat. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much, Armin. And I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to talk on, about some other things on the record too. Of course, as I always do, it's really important for me to have a balance, you know, so there's a song about, you know, one of my little dogs, Jasmine, you know, and there's a song about, you know, my niece, Zaya, who I've actually not even had the chance to meet yet. She was born after I left Canada in 2020 because I had a short visit there in 2020 and I haven't been back since. And just by doing FaceTime with my sister and having the chance to connect with her this way, I can see her spirit so strong. She's one of those children of the future that's going to, yeah, to make this world a better place. When I'm observing nowadays kids, children or young adolescents, you know, I have very often the impression that they are really different than, than people from our generation, for instance. Sure. I mean, I think always that children come out like these little wise cherubs, but it definitely feels that the children are coming out even more evolved. You know, I mean, maybe that's the sense of evolution or, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I know that, yeah, the kids are coming out wiser yeah. you know, and like more advanced and more experienced and, and hopefully not just when they can pick up an iPad and do things I can't even do when they're like three <laughs> years old, you know, but I mean, on a different level, like you're saying, you know, this sort of knowing and this sort of glowing, you know, this, th that they are like light keepers in every way. And they're here to, yeah, to, for, as the next generation. So it's important for us to, to take their world into consideration as well and what we leave behind for them. Yeah, I agree. But, but that's ex exactly what I meant. I mean, I have a niece too. She's now, she's turning 13 in September. Okay. And, you know, like being able to be on her side since she was born and, and just witness, witness, you know, her growing up and, and like how, how she's evolving it's it's mind-blowing to me it's it's really amazing like for me it's it's heartbreaking because i was only able to see my family even before 2020 maybe once a year sometimes if i was lucky twice a year and so for that reason i was really missing these huge gaps in the you know the evolution of my nieces and nephew you know but you know Every time I would come back, and even in the short time that I would have to connect with them, I was always just blown away, but also blown away by, you know, the power of, of motherhood, you know, and what my sisters have managed to do, you know, working so hard and giving everything, you know, to their children, and just this sort of sacrifice that our mothers make. Now, not everyone is meant to be a mother, and so, of course, there's a lot of mothers out there that struggle but when we think about the women in the world and what they give, you know, through life, you know, what they give through their compassion and their selflessness as mothers, you know, it's really something to be respected and put on the highest pedestal. It is one of the most difficult jobs and one of the least appreciated. And I hope that changes someday. Yeah, I can, of course, agree with that because, I mean, you you know my story. And I can honestly say, like, if, you know, 
back then in the 90s, in 92, in Sarajevo, when the war started, if it was not for my mother, all of us could possibly not even be here anymore for a long time. You know? That's right. So yeah. it's, uh, of course, I, you know, I, I, I agree on this and, you know, we can not second the, the importance of that enough, I think. That's right. As we get older too, I think, I mean, I guess not everybody goes through the same experience that I might be having, but as I've gotten older and especially in the last few years too, with being separated from people that I love and just seeing the world changing and not feeling the ability to control or protect or know that I can protect others, people that I care about, you know, from whatever is coming or whatever is already here or whatever is happening, you know, and that feeling has come up many times, you know, I've thought more about like the passing of my parents, which will inevitably come, you know, and my own mortality, of course, is in the back of my mind as I get older. I think since I hit my 40s, that's when it started to become more real. And I started to think more about what's important in life, also about my my health, like my, my mobility even, you know, um, to be able to get around, you know, because I have a problem with my foot from, you know, breaking it years ago, uh, partying with Derek Trucks and Kofi, you know, and <laughs> then again, you know, re-injuring it when I fell down, down my sister's stairs, which are, yeah, very strange, strangely built stairs. And so that happened in 2020. And I've just started having trouble with it lately, where there's kind of some phantom pain and some different issues coming up with it. And, you know, you start to, yeah, appreciate that in in life which is important but you know especially with my parents knowing that there would be a point at which they might not be there anymore and i mean that is like a crushing thought you know for me even though i've gone through some really difficult times with both of them i love them both dearly and and even my father who i've just had so many moments with that were painful i've come to a full forgiveness with and he's really kind of deteriorating his health right now is is in a bad place and his mind is in a bad place and that's also taught me a lot because my dad is always yeah he's always been an angry person in a lot of ways you know he's he's always suffered he's always looked backwards at the past and his childhood and you know all the terrible things that happened to him and he's not been able to let go and forgive and move forward and that's something that i knew that i had to do or i could easily become trapped in this sort of darkness that he's in now you know and there's nothing you can say to him to help him to move out of that place you know and so the end of his life will ultimately be very difficult for him you know and it will be painful it will be a painful transition to the next place whereas my mom who's got a much lighter spirit and sort of has let go of a lot of of the past baggage and also forget forgiven a lot of the things that have happened to her in her life she is still quite healthy physically she's very like happy and you know out in the garden and spending time with the grandkids and you know and so I learn a lot from watching my parents experiences as they grow older but it does make me you know think often about like a world without them you know it's 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 really interesting because when I think of myself in that regard for instance like I'm for I'm turning 42 very soon yeah. Uh, and I can very much relate to what you say because you know when I when I was twenty, 
my perspective was like, okay, this is gonna just go. It's, it's just gonna be going on forever. <laughs> you know, when you are young, you think like, you know, nothing can happen to us. We are healthy. We are. But now, and I mean, you know, my parents also, and they are both in a pretty, you know, pretty good space health wise and. I'm Actually, so glad to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you know, but but still, like I said, I'm, like 20 years ago, those kind of thoughts never crossed my mind, but now they really do. Yeah, and I think it, it also, again, shows us that, you know, the mind has so much power because the people that we see that that are lighter in the mind, you know, that are not so hard on themselves, that are not so full of regrets and anger, you know, the people that are able to forgive they will have an easier transition, whatever that looks like, you know, because the mind is affecting the body all the time. And so it, it, with the past few years, we've also seen how deeply the mind and the thoughts is also affecting people's health and the quality of their lives, you know. So the more that we play into fear, the more that we play into grief and sadness and anger, you know, the more we will feel it in our physical selves as well, you know. And so all of those lessons seem to come around and I hope not just for everybody when they get into their forties, I hope, you know, for that, that, like you said, the young, the, the children of today will learn even before us, you know, to, to forgive and to let go of a lot of the baggage because the longer that we carry it, the, the greater the risk and the burden is on our physical well-being. Yes. Yes. And, and I think it's highly underestimated, you know, the connection between, between the mind and the psyche and 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 uh, how it how all of this which which is happening there is affecting our physical self you know it's true because i used to think you know oh well i made some crazy decisions you know when i was younger you know i mean i used a lot of drugs and you know i was you know yeah i mean i was making stupid decisions many times in my youth you know, I had a painful childhood. So of course that led me to make some stupid decisions over the years. And then I used to think, so that was contributing, but also the music business and the, you know, staying awake for days and not getting enough sleep and kind of physically draining myself on stage each time with these huge adrenaline rushes on stage during the show. And then later kind of sitting in a hotel room alone, you know, feeling depressed and not being able to sleep because of that adrenaline from being on stage. I was running in circles in that kind of situations when I was younger, like after yes. a show. Yes. But I think, you know, I used to believe that a lot of those things that I did in the past were, were the reason I was having some of the problems I was having today physically, you know? And and I think I come more and more to the belief that it's really how I'm thinking and how I'm seeing the world that is actually really affecting me physically. Because there's a lot of people out there that live, you know, very hard lives and, you know, physically are working hard. Maybe they also were drug addicts at some time, you know, all these same reasons that I could use for for why my body breaks down maybe faster than someone else's and, and you know, but I believe that it's not just genetic. I believe that it's not just based on our careers. I believe that it's not just based on stupid choices we may have made in the past or whatever. It's it's really a lot to do with just right now, even how we're thinking. And so when we turn our perspective and, and focus more on the light and the good things around us, then the healthier we suddenly feel, you know? So it's just like, literally we can test it ourselves. We don't need a scientist or a doctor to tell us that it's real, you know, because it, it's, it's real. 
you know, all you yes. have to do is try it. Actually, you know, the system as it was built by, you know, by nature, by God, it works pretty reliably. That's right. If we can take the perspective to, to listen. And then also this could bring us back to what you, what we were talking about in the beginning, like about intuition. Absolutely. I was just thinking that. Yeah. You know, I mean, then actually everything we need is already there. You know, perspective is such a big part of it because, yeah, I mean, when I was at my lowest point at different moments in my life, sometimes it would just be going, you know, just find one thing that is still worth living for, you know, and there would be like a bird chirping out in a tree somewhere, you know, and I would hear the sound and I would focus in on that. And that would make me think, you know, yeah, but it's worth it to keep going just for that chance to hear that bird or to see that tree, you know, moving slowly in the breeze. I mean, definitely nature has been like a saving grace for me in the past few years. And also back, you know, in the days when things were darker for me in my early teens and, and late teens and early 20s, you know. So, you know, I really hope that people, yeah, get, get out and spend as much time in nature as they can, you know, because, you know, like people that live in cities, they need to get on a bus and occasionally go out into the into the woods or to the beach or whatever they whatever they can find. Even in, in a city park, you can find that moment with that bird chirping and that leaf blowing in the wind. And and sometimes that's all you need to then come back into connection with with God and come back into connection and source of like why you're here as a living creature of light and that you are connected to many, many things, you know, and that you have purpose, you know, and that not everything is as bleak as, you know, some people might want you to believe. Yeah. And, and I mean, and w when you take that perspective, it's so amazing to see how actually everything is connected to each other you know like that's right to, to find out you know you can see and experience connections really literally everywhere i mean i grew up with like you know a, a very dysfunctional and difficult situation with my father and he used to say a lot of those kind of one-liner things like i mentioned before you know only the strong will survive and you know um, it's not what people say, it's what they do. And, you know, these kinds of things. And some of it resonated with me and, you know, obviously was like kind of brainwashing me as a child. Um, but then later I was able to reflect on some of those things he said, but one of the things he said that still lives with me today that I have to say has really, you know, um, helped me over the years is that he used to say, never believe your own story too much. And, you know, I wish he could follow that advice himself because i feel that if he could follow that piece of advice that he gave me he would be in a better place you know himself but i think what i've taken from that is that any time that you really think that you know something remember that you don't and remember that there's someone else having a different experience on the same issue or from the same you know same place but a different completely different experience and different perspective you know and when we're able to be more open because there was definitely some moments in the past few years when i was feeling anger and i was directing it you know in my way you know these people need to see this and they why doesn't they just change and blah blah you know what i mean and when we get into that cycle where we start to believe that our perspective is the only one 
you know, that's how, well, basically how genocide happens, you know? And so it's important that we always kind of stop ourselves in those moments and go, yeah, but wait a second. Like, why is that person having that perspective? You know, what, what, what brought them to that perspective? You know, um, could there be life experiences that have brought them there? Could there be emotional and physical components? Could there be fear? Could there be love, but love might be seen or experienced differently for that person, you know? And so, yeah, that's really been a journey for me in the past few years when I was feeling anger about, you know, my career being affected or my travel abilities being affected or these kinds of things that I resonated again with this thing my dad used to say to me about, you know, never believing your own story too much, you know? Yeah. And, and especially the realization also for me, you know, because when I was very young, I somehow, I used to think, you know, that what's valid for me and what feels natural and, and also like common sense to me, I, I used to assume that it must be like this for everyone. And this led me to experiences which were quite difficult, you know, because I don't know if, if you, if, if I was trying to put my way of seeing things onto other people, With some people, it worked because they had a similar view. With others, it didn't. And then it caused really difficult situations. Yeah. And it's like I had a lot of moments with that, you know, where I would think, you know, hey, wait a second. We're not all supposed to be the same. The world wouldn't be interesting if we were. But that goes also the other way with how I'm seeing the world. And so it's like to be angry if people are putting me in a box and want me to be a certain way that might be more similar to them. It's the same thing if I only turn around and reflect that same viewpoint, you know? So then it's, it's, it's not creating a better world, you know, it's not creating better conditions for all of us, you know? I mean, I think I definitely had moments of frustration that many people didn't seem to really want to have discussions. And I was really hoping for more discussions over the past few years. And I thought, at times, like, why don't more people want to talk and tell me how they feel? And, you know, that kind of suppression, you know, that, that, that's been one of the scarier parts of the past few years for me, I guess, has just been like people not wanting to open up because they feel scared to do that or not wanting to consider other sides of the story because they were afraid. Yeah. Not wanting to differentiate. Just to talk. I mean, like literally like, You know, like I would rather someone, you know, write me an email and say like, hey, don't fucking send me, you know, this information or I don't want to talk about this or something. I would rather get a response than like no response, you know, and a lot of times it felt like I was trying to talk to people because of my own concerns and people just weren't wanting to have the conversation like at all, you know, and that's why I have to say like I really value, you know, I've got maybe on one hand I can say people that I, yeah really connected with in the past few years because I just respect them for like at least speaking their minds to me, you know, because that's what matters most, no matter what time in history we're in, it's important that we speak to each other and have discussions. It doesn't always have to be a debate. It can just be a discussion. You know, it doesn't always have to be fueled by anger and pain. And like, you know, there's so much of that going on now online and like around the world and You know, it's, it's like sit down and just have a conversation and try to understand where the other person is coming from and why they make the choices they make. You know? Yes. And if we do that on the grounds of, you know, mutual respect, then we might have a chance. Absolutely. And I think that we, I mean, 
we do because like I was watching like um what is his name the comedian is a Bill Hicks you know and in in the part in one of his stand up comedy he's saying you know if you're watching the news or the TV it's like you know war famine genocide you know like starvation you know rape you know and then you turn off the TV step outside and there's like a bird in a tree singing, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the way he says it is different, but it's just so true that, you know, there's also been the opportunity to just turn it all off and like walk outside and, and realize, realize what's really true. Yes. And this is something every one of us has the opportunity to do every single day, basically. Absolutely. I mean, I guess like one good thing that came out of the past few years for me has also been that I was never interested in current events growing up. I always thought that I was never receiving the full truth and that it was often always focused on like the negative. And so I never really liked to watch the news or to discuss current events in school when we had to do it when we were younger, etc. or read the newspaper or any of that stuff. And then like the past few years made me actually start to pay more attention and start to like consider, you know, mainstream channels, but also alternative journalism. And like, like, like I said, kind of like take a bit more time to actually pay attention to what was going on, you know, but, you know, still you have to remember that a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. You know, you, you must try your best sometimes to live in the moment. And in the moment, most of us are doing okay. You know, I still suffer often when I think about like, you know, a single mother in America who's like working three jobs and still is on the streets, you know, like, I mean, I hope that my music, you know, I mean, I guess I had like some identity crisis moments even in the past few years where I just thought like, what does, what can my music do to really help? You know, what can it do to change this massive suffering that was being experienced, you know, knowing that, you know, people were, pushed to suicide, knowing that people's stories weren't being told, you know, about injury and death and just feeling, how can my music make a difference in all of this, you know? And so for me, like getting back on stage is also going to be really special because I think that that connection with the audience again will tell me a big part of the piece of the puzzle that's been missing for me in the past few years, you know, for myself and, you know, for others, you know. Yeah, maybe we can talk about this aspect a little bit because, You know, before COVID hit into 20, you have been touring and playing shows like a lot. Like you, you have been on the road uh, yes. relentlessly and, and you, you really traveled very much. So, you know, when I think of touring, it has many aspects to it. Like, you know, we get to play in front of people like in many different places and we get to see places and meet people we would never have seen or met otherwise. But at the same time, you know, the travel part, like the, the mechanical process of going from traveling from one place to another, uh, it, you know, it has, it, it, it takes a toll as well. So, you know, would you, would you be so kind to share your perspective on being a traveling musician? Yes. I mean, it's not just the traveling. I think it's like even keeping the bands together, you know, like, you know, as a band leader, from my perspective anyways, and, and, you know, everybody can relate to this differently because side musicians have a different experience than say the artist whose name is on the poster, you know, yeah, very much. So it was like keeping people happy, you know, 
keeping people happy and giving them what they needed without them then kind of being in a position where they would see weakness in me and want to take advantage of the situation. And of course, I had moments like that in my career, you know, allowing freedom on stage to be musical and do what you do best, but then like not telling people what to play. But then that would also at times it led to people then trying to like step over me on stage too much. And, you know, so there's been like good and bad experiences with being a band leader and trying to give people the freedom to do what they love, you know? Um, and then, yeah, sometimes paying everyone. And in the end, like having nothing for myself at the end of the tour, except for some money from the merchandise, you know? So I think that it's a difficult business, especially in the blues genre to really be successful. But then when I look back on where I came from, and where I am today, you know, I, I go, wow, you know, my mom, she'll often do it and just say, Layla, I can't believe how far you've come and what the career that you've created for yourself. Now, of course, when I say that, there's so many people along the way that open doors for me and help me to get to where I am today, you know, and so all of those people, you know, they deserve my gratitude 100%, like, because I wouldn't be where I am today without a team of people over the years that helped me get there, you know. And in each of those experiences, I learned the good and the bad about the business, you know, and, and how it works. And I think for myself, I've always just tried to play by my own rules. And there was lots of people that didn't appreciate or respect that. And that was one of the reasons also that I moved out to Europe, because in Canada, I didn't think I was being appreciated for who I was as an artist. And in Germany, I was. And so that's what made me move out, you know, to Germany and give it a try, you know. Yeah, but what do you think why that was well i don't know i mean there's always the aspect of like you being exotic in another place you know where it's not your country like you're exotic in someone's backyard they kind of say you know um but i think that yeah let's say in toronto for example when i was there i mean the kind of blues they were looking for was not the kind of blues that i was doing you know and and you know it, it's like the men in power in the city of toronto that were deciding who would get a lot of the gigs you know I mean, it was like a boys club, you know, there. And so it was like the same guys getting the same shows over and over again, you know, and I would struggle to get enough gigs to, to pay my bills, but also my style of blues, you know, just that I was so emotional and kind of putting people on this emotional journey. It wasn't really the easy listening kind of Canadian blues that a lot of the promoters wanted to, you know, help push to the top, you know? I mean, like in all the years of being a Canadian artist and playing in Canada too, I, you know, was only nominated for their Toronto Blues Awards one time. And I was living in Europe then, of course, by then, because I, like I said, I kind of walked away a bit from the Canadian blues scene and tried to embrace Europe because the countries are all so close together. It made it easier to then play many different countries and, you know, to, yeah, promote my music over here. I still love Canada. I love, there's so many wonderful blues artists in Canada. Um, but I feel like, yeah, my journey was just meant to, to come to Europe, you know. And when it comes to travel and what you first asked me, I feel like the reason I brought up the keeping the band together thing and the travel is because those are two of the most difficult things for me, I think, in, in, in my career has been. You know, there's just like moments where you'll come off tour and you're just so exhausted physically from the travel, but also from whatever dynamics you may or may not have experienced with your bandmates, you can become so close to them and love them so much. And then like you guys 
will go your separate ways and won't speak for months. You know, what I mean? and then you'll go back on tour again, and then you're a family again, and then you'll love each other again, and then you don't. You go back to your like real lives, quote unquote. You know, and so this kind of push and pull. You know, it it works great when everybody's happy in the band, but if someone's not happy, if someone's no longer happy on stage, if someone's no longer happy with the pay, if someone's no longer happy with the style of music, if somebody, you know, starts to cause a rift in that team, then a tour can feel like it's 10 years instead of 10 days, you know? (laughs) And so there's definitely been moments when I was always kind of struggling with you know, having the right group of musicians around me and the right group of people to tour with. And I've had to learn a lot along the way, as I've said, because there was times when, you know, people were in the band were telling me like, you need to tell people more what to do. And, you know, so-and-so is acting this way. You need to tell them to stop. And, you know, and I've always just been like, yeah, I don't like to tell people what to do. I don't want to tell a musician how to play. I don't want to tell someone how to behave on tour because I know for each person they're dealing with different issues back home when they're on tour everybody sleeps differently everybody reacts differently some people drink some people don't you know some people use drugs on tour some people don't and so for all these reasons I was always trying to be open to everybody's different personalities but over time I have also learned that you do need to sometimes as a band leader be putting your foot I mean without being an asshole if you can and sort of say like, hey, that's not okay. Or like, listen, I need you to do it this way, you know? And that, that's that been a big learning thing for me because like also it's always been me working with men, mostly. I mean, like I can only say there's been a few times when I was working with women in my whole career in blues. You know? I've songwritten with women. I've had women on stage with me as musicians and I've worked with the, the Blues Caravan Tour with women also singing and sharing the show with me. But the majority of people I've worked with in my career have been men. And so there's also this kind of way that I had to learn how to also speak with men, you know, in, in the business, if I was the the band leader or if I was working with them on an album or whatever it is, because, you know, if you're too emotional and I often was, or you're like overly descriptive in your email, this thing, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people don't have time for that. And particularly the difference between men and women becomes like more clear then. Um, and to be taken seriously and to be respected, I think that you have to find sort of that place somewhere in between where you're still like compassionate and caring, but you also know when to put your foot down, I guess, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a very fine line, which has a lot to do with, you know, the the combination of characters. And then what you mentioned, like difference between women and men is, I think, it's a very huge difference in terms of the energy, you know. The way yes. how 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 people are dealing with situations, yeah. But but I guess you know it's 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 a this this aspect is also yeah just a part of the whole journey we are on. I I would say maybe you know, and and we have the chance to by making experiences to learn and to change to adjust. But as you said, I think also very important, you know, st- to still be yourself, but also to be in the in the position where you are able to feel good and 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 uh, and kill it when you go out on stage. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, there was definitely like, sorry, I was just letting my dog out because she was at the door. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that there were moments when 
Like I didn't think I could get on stage. And I can remember one specifically, I've told this story before and I had, you know, the first tour, the Sleep Little Girl tour. And that was the first time that someone had offered me the chance to really do like a really proper tour. And, you know, thanks to Henrik Freischlatter, like we had a, a van, like a sprinter and everybody got inside and we went from place to place and we did like my first real tour. You know, of course I'd done lots of gigs over the years in Canada and, you know, it was great. And I had come out for lots of single shows or like maybe two or three or whatever in Germany. I'd done some short tours, but that was like the longest real tour I ever did. And because I was having a lot of nervousness about doing a good show, I was like thinking too much like the night before about the show the next day, like who fucking cares? You know what I mean? Like just go to sleep, Layla, you know, but I, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was having sleeping problems. It was like, I couldn't sleep in the van, of course, because I'd never, you know, even I'm, I'm a bad sleeper anyways, you know? So then it was just like compounded by everything. And I remember like this one show in Switzerland, you know, I hadn't slept in so long. I was just like getting super stressed and I came down to sound check and I felt like I was on LSD or something. Like everybody's like, wah, 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 wah. you know, it was just like very like strange feeling. And it was just simply from the sleep deprivation, you know, but then finally there was a show on that tour where I just was like, I can't do this. And I had gone back with the tour manager, Mark Babylon, uh, who was our tour manager at the time. And, you know, uh, I just said, like, I just don't think I can do it tonight, you know, and, and, and he said, you know, that he thought that I could, and, you know, like he was giving me support. He certainly wasn't trying to push me at all, you know? And so I just sat in the shower with the cold water on me for a while, you know, and like, just pulled myself together, you know? And then I went and did the show and everything went great. And the thing is, you know, when it comes to music, there's been moments, like I said, when I just didn't think I could do it. And like God was there for me and the the power and the energy and the ability to sing. It just came to me like the second that I walked out on the stage. And that's something that's so special about what we do is like, it's not just adrenaline, but it's a really a genuine for me connection with something that I feel is bigger than me that sort of like takes over my body. And, you know, like I just become a shell that is being used by something like bigger and brighter than, than even I am. And then I'm able to do the job, you know, because the job is not just to be like, quote unquote, a musician, but it's just like to share energy with people. And so the connection between the audience and myself and God is like something that's pulled me through so many times when I didn't think I was able to sing because I was literally so tired, so exhausted and just had nothing left. And then I walked out on stage and it all came and it all happened and it was all magic again. Yeah. And, and maybe it's good to, good to remember at this point, you know, that I think because myself, I'm a bassist and I know what you're talking about, but I, I think it's good to remember that, if you are a singer, vocalist, it's way more demanding in some way and way more difficult or not necessarily difficult, but you know what I mean. It's, it's It just, it asks more of you than uh, from me when I'm just having my bass. You know, basically, if, you know, as long as I don't have to sing backing vocals, I mean, I played many shows while I was really sick. As long as I'm able to stand straight it, I can play a show, you know, That's but, for, right, yeah. but for, for a vocalist, it's different. Yeah. My bassist in that cover band I was talking about like many years ago, like he and I were like close, you know, 
during that time, like he was my best friend in that band. And there was lots of times when I didn't think I would stay in the band if it weren't for him kind of giving me advice. They were all older guys than I was at the time. And, you know, he was talking about like a gig that was done where everybody got food poisoning, but like the band was like lying down on like, like, like reclining chairs on the stage, <laughs> like the one guy or something and like playing and like throwing up into a bucket, but still playing and stuff like, you know, because he had these crazy road stories, like the show has to happen, Layla, you know, and it's funny because that's another thing that's come from the past few years is that, you know, it used to be like literally that you just didn't cancel unless you're on your deathbed, you know? And now we learned that, you know, the show isn't over just because there has to be cancellations, you know, and that we will get through. And now I think people even are a little bit more picky and a little bit more careful about what they book and what they do. And I know for myself, I also canceled like a lot of things before they got canceled because I knew they're going to get canceled. And a couple of times people were kind of upset that I was canceling ahead of time. But I said, listen, I'm not going to let my my band members wait until the last minute. You know, I'd rather that they have the opportunity to try to find some other work so they can survive, you know. And so I would cancel ahead of time. And later, of course, it got canceled anyways, you know. Yeah. And, and this is a part of the responsibility as a band leader one has, I think. That's right. And, and what you were saying, sorry, just before I lose my, my train of thought about the being sick, you know, I also had to learn some really hard lessons about all of that. And I also have a memory again with, with that same tour manager, Mark Babylon. And, you know, I, I had lost my voice and so some shows had been canceled. It was an incredibly stressful tour. And I don't remember what year now, but I was playing in Dortmund for my birthday, May 26. It was the last show of the tour and I decided to try and do it. And, you know, I had not spoken for days. I was like staying with my guitar player at the time, Jens Filzer. And it was like super weird because he said it was like hard for him because I always used to talk quite a bit. And then here I am like writing on a notepad, you know, <laughs> like, like say, can I, you know, can I get some bread or something? You know what I mean? Because I was staying with him and his wife. That was where I was. It was before I was living in Germany. And, uh, you know, I had to like stop using my voice for days for it to come back, you know. And so it had come back just enough that I thought I could finish this last show. And so, uh, you know, it was in Dortmund. It was like a venue that I liked. It was a promoter that I liked. And, you know, but I was so nervous. Like, how am I going to do this show? Because my voice just isn't back to what it should be, like what I'm used to, you know. And Mark had had a conversation with me about like singing differently, you know, that it was okay to sing the songs differently, like sort of maybe the way you sing them in rehearsal, you know, and I said, oh, but in rehearsal, I also sing them big. And I also sing them like almost <laughs> the same way I sing them on stage, which of course, years later, I realized like you can't do that forever. And so I, when I went on tours, like with the blues caravan, there was just so many shows that I had to learn to conserve my voice better. And the sound checks, I kept them very short because I knew like, You just have to have your voice for the tour. That's the most important thing, you know, so I would be able to do a quick check and know. But but anyways, back to that show on May 26, you know, my birthday years ago in Dortmund. And and I thought, oh, it's not going to be as good a show, though. And he said, yeah, but just give it a try. You know, and I had no idea when I walked out on stage if I was going to be able to finish the show. And I had no idea if I could even sing like a couple of songs or if my voice would just go, you know, because the laryngitis was had been so bad. And so I did the show. It went well. I sang totally differently on a lot of the songs. And when I came off stage, like, you know, he said, you sounded great. 
And that's because you didn't approach the songs the same way. And maybe by being a bit more relaxed in some parts of the songs, instead of always needing to push that big voice, you know, like the songs become even better, you know? And so it was really those kinds of lessons. Like nobody can teach you that. You can, you, you, know, you, no, you end learning that in you have university. You have to learn it from experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, in a spirit of 66, like, I used to, for a, a short time when I was playing there in Belgium, I would I had this big fan, you know, and, and the promoter ended up giving it to me. I still have it upstairs in the attic of me and my husband's house. And it was like this big fan that we put. And, and I realized, like, if I kind of bent down into it my hair would fly you know and so my hair would just be flying and it was like there's some pictures i think there's so many photos and like the photographers were just loving it and then of course came the day when like reality hit and i completely lost my voice obviously from like singing into that fan i managed to do it i think maybe three shows or something and i was always playing there like every year you know one time and so this day came when it was like a full you know almost full place and I don't know if it was that someone was sick in the audience and like they coughed behind the fan and it went directly into my throat, you know, <laughs> or what happened, but like a, a number of things between the fan and the full, you know, the full audience in the front, I ended up like having a voice the next day and we had to cancel a couple shows again. So even though it looked really cool, you know, and uh, I enjoyed it on stage. The most important thing is always that you can do the show and that you can sing well, you know. Yeah, and feel good by doing so. That's right. I learned, you know, those things from experience. There's nothing anyone can tell you, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can go to vocal coaches and they can give you tips and they can give you feedback. And that's all very important, like warm ups and warm downs and all of that is important. But I never really did a lot of that. I always just sort of, yeah, started with easier songs in the set and then would build my way up to the more difficult stuff. And that's how I would warm up. I always warmed up on stage, you know. I'm not someone known for warming up a lot before and after the shows, you know. So, like, the warm downs I learned after having trouble with my voice, you know, on one of those tours, like, that was actually quite a good tip from a vocal coach. And I started to do some warm downs, you know, which can help to then relax the muscles in the throat for you to go to sleep, you know, so that they don't stay tense and in the position they were when you walked off stage, you know, that can be really important too, but basically just taking care of yourself. And I think after, yeah, the back surgery, like I also made a lot of changes with how much alcohol I would drink in a night, how much talking I would do at the merch table, how long I would stay at the merch table, you know, and all of these kinds of things, like because of just my back, like I also never wore high heels on stage again. I went barefoot after that. But when it comes to your voice and your physical body with touring, you need to take care of yourself. You know, that's just been my personal experience. Like those guys that are, you know, drinking a lot and using drugs on tours, like when you hear about all those kind of rock star moments, like Motley Crue or something, you know, and you're just like wondering, like, how the fuck do they get on stage and do the, the job, you know? Yeah, each person's experience is different, but certainly if I was like shooting up heroin all week, I don't think I'd be making it on stage that weekend, you know. So every experience and everybody and every mind is different, but That's I think right. but but I think you know like if one chooses to to go that path like rock and roll, you can only do that f- to a certain for so long. For so long and then but but in any case i think there's a price which has to be paid for that but what what i experience the last couple of years is like you know getting older has actually very good effect because as opposed to when i was younger now my body's setting the limit yes. and i and I, basically i just have to listen 
and then it's That's fine. Right. Yeah, I mean that that also like with the whole fire girl thing, like I'm still the fire girl, even though I'm a woman, of course, you know, and someday my hair might be white and not red anymore. So it's gonna be more like the white <laughs> flame woman, you know, or so I don't have to change my uh nickname. But you know, when it comes to the fire girl, of course, there were times like when I was just like jumping in the sky on stage and, you know, head banging. And like, I still enjoy doing that. But of course, like my physical limitations also get in the way. And so my show has changed. And I remember how scary that was when I started to realize that my show would have to change, you know, but then I also, you know, had good conversations with fellow musicians and friends that just said these, this is part of your kind of like story as, as an artist, you know, like not everyone can always remain the same character or the same entertainer we do change like our music changes our lyrical content changes our personalities change you know and i guess that's what you were saying earlier about like musicians adapting i also feel like my personality type you know i've tried all kinds of things in my life and you know i was a skater chick and then i was like i had dreadlocks and i listened to bob marley all the time and then i was like living with some punks in east vancouver and you know so then i had purple dreadlocks and i wore little mini skirts and big doc boots you know doc martin boots or something but it's not just about the clothes but it's about the mindset you know and so i've had all of those different experiences and those experiences have also helped me to know that yeah now in my as i get older and hopefully a little bit wiser each day i don't know but you know, I kind of realized that that is all part of the journey of life, that we change, that we grow, you know, that things that we used to think were weird might become cool later, you know, and it's like things that we saw our parents do and went, oh, what's, I don't understand that. And then later we're doing it, you know, it's like, so it's like, you know, we have to be able to kind of accept the different phases of, of life, you know, so. Yeah. And, and at some point, All of it, you know, all the little puzzle pieces, they come together. Yeah, and I feel like maybe that that's like the end of life, you know, is when the puzzle's done and then we go into like this completely new phase, you know, of, of being. Yes, but maybe, you know, somewhere in the middle, that's how I feel now. Yeah, It's like that, you know, I would say like right now, I'm able to enjoy everything much more than I used to be when I was younger and this Absolutely. is this is a very good uh, development in the situation you know <laughs> yeah just to be like I mean for myself it's just to be more relaxed you know because I was yeah. always an overthinker and I still am to a degree you know I was always really like with a mission to express myself and that's why I think uh, being an artist has been the perfect you know choice for me even though there's been a lot of difficult moments with that path, I feel like that was the best path for me. But like that need to express, like it's not as bad as it used to be. Like now I can sit back and, you know, enjoy that other people express, you know? And I think that like the last few years also showed me that, that it's like, I don't need to be out there. When, when my time is right, I'll be back there, you know? And I'll say whatever I have to say and, and people will feel what they feel. But it was like, with the social media thing, I lost so many people that way. I could not connect with the fans in the same way. And that was like such a huge thing that I used to do all the time. And I really built that kind of like social media business over years of working on it, you know, and connecting with fans. And like by walking away from it, you know, I learned a lot about how we hold too much value 
in kind of those personas and those uh, that ability to communicate in this way but it's not really genuine in lots of ways you know and it's not really us in a lot of ways either you know and so just from just from my own personal perspective i have no issues with anyone else using it just for myself i was really i mean people know i mean i was really using it a lot you know i mean i was like literally putting up what i ate that day and like you know it was like it was like another place that i could express myself you know and so by stepping back from it and then like just leaving it completely i learned a lot about myself because i no longer had that those kind of like compliments every day from fans or like messages from them or like you know accolades or like you know a bunch of likes on a photo or you know what i mean and 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 that really helped me to see what's most important and i knew that when i come back i'll come back with good music and i'll come back as myself and that's what matters the most you know and whoever shows up for that gig is going to is going to get the best of me because that's what's most important is i've always tried to give the best of myself on stage but the rest of it it just doesn't matter you know it's not real it's not it's been a part of my journey and it was an important part and i have you know i completely understand it's kind of a big part of how the business works you know that you need to promote and all these things but it was very good for me to step back and look at what was most important and that was my ability to get through the past few years you know my health and like and like to yeah to focus on what was important and that was sort of just to like relax and be laid back a bit and not give a shit about that kind of stuff anymore you know because it had been so many years of like trying to promote my music and trying to push myself further in a difficult business you know and what all that really matters is the music it's it's all that matters you know and that you that you're okay that you're feeling okay you know i mean like you can't always feel okay sometimes when you're not feeling okay that's what actually brings the best songs out of you but just that you're okay you know like you can let go of all of those things and you're still going to be okay you know but people don't believe that people like lose their cell phone and they fucking have a breakdown you know <laughs> they want to kill themselves you know like kids these days they're so attached to them they think like oh my god my life is in that phone like you hear that all the time you know yeah that's because the social media and everything internet or the phones i mean this is a system which is which is set up in the way that designed yes for absolute addiction it's a it's designed to addict you you know i mean it worked with me for a long time yeah you know? i mean i i had also my share of experiences which are very ambivalent you know or different ones but yeah. what what i what i find very how can i say it i mean if you witness like little kids like three years four years old playing with a phone There, there you can see how addictive it really is. I That's think. right. And it's heartbreaking a bit, you know, because I always think like, yeah, I mean, how do you raise a kid without technology in this world? Like, of course, it's a big part of our day-to-day -day lives. And unfortunately, a lot of systems are set up so that there's not even any way for you to register for something or be a part of something if you don't have, you know, that that app or that thing you know even the school systems got on board where like you have to have an app or you have to have twitter or whatever to get like updates about things happening at your kid's school and stuff like it just blows my mind you know because like if i could if if i had had children you know i would want to raise them like more similar to how i was raised with like you know records and like they'd have like a walkman that they went to school with with the tape cassettes in it you know and like you know no phones you know just like playing with their friends and being outside in nature going camping with the with the parents and 
you know, like, I mean, that's one of my best memories is camping with my dad as a kid. I still hold that as one of my best memories of being with him, you know, and, uh, yeah, now I go camping with my husband and with my dogs and, you know, kind of relive that feeling. But, you know, I, I think that there's just so much more to life than what technology offers us. You know, technology can bring us some wonderful things, but we also see that it has a dark side. And I hope people are able to pull themselves away sometimes and and look outside and see that there's so much more to life than those easy way, the easy way out sometimes, you know, just to pick up the device or just to turn on the laptop or turn on the TV or, you know, like it, it happens to all of us. Like you said, it's designed to be addictive and it's designed to make us lazy. It's designed to make us weaker. But on the other side of that, it also is a way to communicate with lots of people with like mind ideas. And so like, when we look at the positive side of that, or like people being able to make music at home when they are in lockdown and do incredible things. You know? Yeah, I mean, I have played on many albums where I did, where I never met the people. In That's real right. Life. But That's at right. the same time, at the same time, I also had the experience or still I'm, I'm having the experience, you know, that you hook up with someone on, on Facebook, let's say, and then at some point it leads to really meeting and really doing something together. And that's very beautiful. That's what I really love about you is, you know, that, I mean, you've been such an integral part of like networking in the German music scene. You know, anytime that I was looking for a musician or, you know, and of course, like lots of people have suggested musicians to me over the years, Henrik was really good with connecting me with people in the beginning when I needed like musicians or I needed an agent and always like people of the highest caliber, you know, and highest quality. But like, I know I came to you many times looking for, you know, a musician to connect with or like, you know, a vocal coach or some something. And you always had like this, you know, list of people on hand because you're so good with networking with people and not just like online, but like you said, going and actually meeting them for a coffee and having a cigarette and talking with them, you know? And I think that's something so special. And it's such a hugely important part of our business. And, and you know, I, it also with the fans, like I see the fans, they meet each other like through the internet, which is so cool when I see like a couple of my fans are talking, like my one of my biggest fans in Germany is talking with one of like my fans that loves my music and lives in the United States, you know, and you see them talking on the, the Facebook wall or something or back when I had Facebook. And then later they somehow end up being able to be at the same show together, you know? And it's like so special because you realize like this kind of networking, I mean, it happens in all businesses, but you know, it's, it's special for us when we see it happening in our own business, you know, how music brings together people in, in so many different ways. And I have to, you know, give kudos to technology for, its ability to also connect us, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, and th this is like, you know, what you said, like about music being a connector, this is yes. actually the, the biggest, yeah, biggest asset we have. We all have being an independent artist. Also, at least if, if you want to, you know, make a living, it includes being able to take care of the business side of all of it as well you know and now like being creative and writing songs playing music is a very different world from being able to do what it takes to make it all work and and earn money uh, and i've i've made the experience from myself and also from many friends many artists kind of struggle with this you know the two aspects are so contrary when you are a creative person 
you know, you you have a it's a different mindset than being a businessman, and and it can be very challenging to combine. So, uh, how, how would be your take on the music, on the business part of all of it? Yeah, I guess like when I think about doing the blues in the schools program, which I did a few times. I did it in Canada. I did it in Germany. I'm trying to think if there was anywhere else. But, you know, when I was talking to kids about blues, I also made sure that during that Blues in the Schools course that I kind of put together myself that I talked about being an independent musician. And, you know, it's so overwhelming to try to relay information to like a young person that's really excited about maybe, you know, choosing music as a career. Yeah, it's just I would never want to overwhelm them with all of the negatives. You know, I would want them to know that that everything and anything is possible. I mean, with my first album, I was literally sitting around the kitchen table with my mom and family, and we were putting the CDs together ourselves. You know, like I was printing the booklet myself on an Epson printer, you know, and like putting the CDs together, you know, and then like fundraising to make albums has also been something that came into play when I just got tired of working with labels and I wanted to make an album myself, but just couldn't afford to do it. Like crowdfunding is also a wonderful option, you know? And so there's like new things that came to play along the years of my career that were never there before, you know, it was like you would go to your family and ask for help if you needed it, you know? But like, I really think that when I'm talking to young people about like a career in music or something, that it's it's important to remember, like, there's literally no book that tells you how to do this job, you know, and there's just no formula, you know, that is going to mean success. And I've had this conversation with people in my band and in my teams before, because I remember people would come to me in the band and they'd say, Layla, you need to do different songs. Or they would say, like, you need to do a different cover song every night as the encore instead of the same one. And then like one tour manager was saying to me, like, you need to, you know, do something with the lights. Like we should do that tie dye screen thing behind you. And then another one said like, you know, the only way we're going to get to the top and start selling out crowds and like playing bigger places is if you, I, I don't even remember, like literally I've been told, Oh, if you, if we have a sound man on tour with us, like the sound needs to be better, you know? And it's just like, you can get pulled in so many directions by people telling you how you should run your business. And in the end, for me, I don't know if I've ever been a great businesswoman. And yet somehow I've made it to where I am today. You know, somehow I've made, you know, like, I don't know, what is it? Like 16 albums or something crazy. You know, and it's, it's, or I don't even remember how many now. It's something like that. And, you know, it's just, you know, I think it's one step in front of the other when it comes to the music business, you know, because I would never want to tell people to, like basically quote unquote sell out. And if you really want to be successful, you know, you would start looking at that as your formula. Like what are other people doing? You know? And that just doesn't work. You know, you have to you have to stay true to yourself. If if you know, I, I just personally feel that. You know, you 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 have to struggle, you have to move, you know, you have to like sacrifice, you know, like seeing your family, your friends, you might have to move to a new country, you might have to move to a new city, you know, to try to get your music out there. You know, you might have to like go through some bad agents or some bad record labels to get to one that you actually feel understands you, respects you, cares. But like a good friend of mine, Sonny Landreth, you know, he's, he's like at the top and he's still, we, we talk often and you know, he's a name that's known. He plays Crossroads. He plays with Eric Clapton. He's just on tour, like 
with Buddy Guy and was telling me like Buddy Guy was telling him old road stories backstage and blah, 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 you know, and it's just like, even Sonny says, like, I went to this one show and everybody loved me and it was a full crowd and we got like an incredible dinner afterwards and we had a great show. And then I went to this, you know, private event like a few days later and like people had their backs to us and we're talking and like we got like shitty food and, you know, we had a bad hotel and, you know, so it's like it doesn't matter how many years you're doing it for or how big your name is, you know, it's still a game that needs to be played each day with new ears, new eyes and and the new willingness to go forward, you know, and you just must keep putting one foot in front of the other because opportunities will come up, you know, new doors will open for you. If you just keep going, it's definitely the thing that I've, yeah, that I've learned from, from all the times when I thought, Oh, it's just too hard. I just don't know if I can keep going or like, Oh, now my guitar player left. Like, how am I going to find somebody that's as good as him? Or like, you know, but just find somebody different, do something new. You know, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. All you have to do is keep going forward, you know, and just don't give a shit what anybody else says, because you're always going to have people that are going to say to you, you know, oh, but the band's not as good as the band she used to have. And, you know, like the songs are so different now. And, you know, but the thing is, as an artist, you know, I just know that you must try to stay true to your own journey. You will find people that will enjoy playing with you, you know, even if the band changes, even if the the setup changes and you go from being in a nightliner to all packing yourselves into a tiny little van together. Like it doesn't matter because you're still going, you're still out there. You're still like making music for people. You know, you're still bringing, bringing joy to people, you know, you're still connecting with people. And I mean, that was definitely one of the hardest things about the past few years for me was I felt like I just kind of had to walk away, you know, from, yeah, from that connection that I would have with the fans by doing the shows, you know, but I also just felt so clear that I needed to come back under the right circumstances because I just couldn't say that like some people are allowed to come and some people can't, you know? So there's going to be like all kinds of weird things that come up that you just never thought would even happen. Like you literally think you've been through it all. And then there's something new, a new challenge. Like I never thought I would see what's happened in the past few years happen to the business. You know, I think nobody, I was, nobody did. No. And that's like, maybe that's the, the positive we can take from it too, is to remind ourselves not to get lazy and complacent and to think that we've already been through it all, you know, that we've seen it all because there's always going to be something new just around the corner. And that's the wonderful part of being alive is like, yeah, exactly. all of those mistakes, they're not mistakes. Like every choice we make is the opportunity to learn and to grow and to experience life, you know, and, and, Life is only great when there's also heartache and sadness because we wouldn't know the difference if we didn't feel both heartache and both joy, you know? So we have to, yeah, embrace like in our business and in life in general that there's going to be like this wave that's going to go up and then it's going to come fucking crashing down again and it's going to go up again and it's going to come crashing down, you know? So so with the music business, I, I guess like I'm really bad at giving like, business advice because like I always just followed my heart and I think that you know there's yeah I, I don't regret like anything I did I don't regret any album I made I don't regret any person I worked with you know any musician I worked with like I just got something from everyone and I hope everyone got a little something from working with me you know and and that's 
and the fans, especially like the connections with some of them have been beautiful. I've even like made some friendships with some of my fans in the past few years, the ones that stayed connected when I left social media, the ones that actually continued to still like stay in touch by email or whichever way I was offering them the chance to stay in touch. They stayed in touch, you know, and like a couple of them, I even met them and walked my dogs with them and stuff because they lived not far. And, you know, like, it's just like a wonderful thing because, you know, there's just so, too much ego sometimes in the business. And what it comes down to really is, it's just a people's business. It's people, you have to be a people person, I think in a lot of ways, but even if you're not like, you know, you're still going to connect and you're still going to be able to give people something, you know, but like, it's, it's all about connecting. It's all about energy transference, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Money just isn't. Yeah. If it's, if, if you want money, then it's probably not the business for you. <laughs> I feel like, you know, like it's not that it's impossible, you know, but it's just, if money's the, the main focus, then it's just, then not you should be do something else, I guess. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, get technically trained to the point where then like you can be like an incredible recording or studio or side musician. But even in Nashville, there was like so much competition when I was out there, you know, uh, back in 2005, like getting some songs pitched to me for my first EP. And, you know, there's like so many musicians that want to be the ones that are chosen for that, like that album that's being made by the latest country musician or something. And it's the same group of guys they would hire over and over again. I heard the same story in Nashville, as I experienced in Toronto, where you just have like a group of people that are constantly picked again and again for the projects that are the big projects. And so that's why you have to also be open to like creating your own work for yourself. You have to create a way, you know, you create events, you create albums, you create, you know, projects with people. And some will be like really great and some won't be as great, but you know, you have to kind of like sometimes create it for yourself when no one's just handing it to you, you know, or when you're not kind of like the pick of the day, the band of the day, you know, the one winning all the awards. And like, you know, because I remember someone saying to me, like one of my bandmates two years ago, saying something about like King King and like, we need to be more like King King. And, you know, like, no. because, you know, because at the time <laughs> King King was, you know, like getting all the gigs and then they're a great band, you know, like we played, a show uh before them once and like i got to see their whole show and we hung out with them and they're cool guys and you know it's like they do a great show and but i just you know remember thinking like and i know there's a lot of those conversations in the blue scene like about joe bonamassa he's worked really hard to get where he is today but his journey is his alone there's nothing that you can do you know to know for sure that you're going to make it where joe is you know it's just not, that's not the way this business works. And that's why when people say things to me, I would always like let it go in one ear and kind of out the other because I knew that my journey will be mine. And I think maybe the reason I know that is like this documentary I saw years ago. I think it was called Lightning in a Bottle or something, but I don't remember the name now because it was like basically talking about some of the, you know, uh, black blues musicians who did not make it successfully in the years of like the start of BB King and stuff, you know, there's like guys that are still like cleaning the theaters that aren't playing those theaters. You know, there's guys that were like great musicians, but they didn't get picked up and they didn't make it to the kind of success and fame as say BB King and buddy guy did, you know? And so they like ended up, you know, doing regular jobs and like kind of nobody knows who the fuck they are, you know? And it's like, that is the reality of the, of the business that we're in. Like, not everyone is going to have success. Not everyone is going to be known. You know, a lot of people will like struggle, 
and they will struggle to the end. But what's most important then if you're struggling is that you at least enjoy what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would also say, I mean, for me, I don't know. I think, you know, if, if the love to music and, and the urge to, I, I would say like this, if you really feel you just have to do it and there's nothing else what what you would love to do as much as being a musician, then there there are going to be ways to make it in Absolutely. some way or the other. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I moved from, you know, East Vancouver to then Toronto. And like, that was a really big move, you know, at the time. And it was scary as hell. And I knew no one, you know, and I lived in a little shitty basement suite after just going through like a breakup of being with someone for like seven years. So it was like really the beginning of a new chapter, you know, and it was a dark time, but also there was lots of wonderful moments. You know, I ended up playing with Jeff Healy again and I ended up playing some great festivals and I met wonderful musicians and, you know, I mean, and then I moved to Montreal, you know, and then again, started over again, didn't know anybody was trying to in get myself into the scene. And then I got to play Montreal Jazz Fest and I had, you know, wonderful opportunities and I met great people and I dated some great guitar players and, you know, and then I moved to Germany, you know, and there again, I was living in a little town, like surrounded by farms and cows and like didn't have any friends and spent a lot of time alone and, you know, was trying to pursue my music and do my shows and have a great band. And, and I did, I had a great band and I had great moments and I had, you know, a very supportive record label. I don't think I would have been able to move to Europe if it weren't for Henrik Kreischlader's support, you know? And so like, you know, all of these people, it helped me along the way, but still I was the one that had to go through those moments of starting over again in like a new country or a new province, you know, each time starting again, just to be able to get my music out there and to meet new people and continue that journey, you know? And so there is just like, there's everybody's journey is different. You know, everybody goes through it differently, but that's how I saw it. Like that I had to keep moving, that I had to keep starting over so that I could like, you know, kind of emerge myself into a new scene, you know, and like, yeah. And then I ended up in Holland because of love, not because of music. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, so and that's and, a whole and, other story. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but this is what makes you also see re in retrospect that, you know, what, what I firmly believe in, you know, there's the right time for everything. Definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe to to wrap it up. Yes. I would like to to point to you like five very short and brief questions and I'm okay. I'm asking you I'll try to, to keep the answers brief okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay number one muddy waters or bb king muddy waters all right number two beer or wine yeah neither <laughs> yeah <laughs> if I have to choose then wine Yeah, but actually the first answer you gave is the, the best <laughs> one. <laughs> okay, number three, uh, black or white? Oh, that's hard. I'd say gray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, number four, will the world ever change? It's always going to be changing. I mean, like, that's that's... That's a hundred percent certain, I guess, you know, they say it's like death and taxes are the two things you can be certain of, but I think change is one of the other things you can be certain of. Yeah, I agree. And the last one is what is your biggest dream? Mm. 
you know, it used to be like a moment or something, you know, like I used to have some dream to play with someone specifically or to, you know, I used to have a dream to like, you know, go to Australia someday that I had that dream since I was eight years old. And I had booked a flight finally, you know, to go and then it was canceled in 2020. So I had to like change that dream. But none of that is really like my dreams now. My dream for myself is to to live a good life because I don't think happiness is particularly always like what we all need to feel all the time every day. You know, we need to have a mixture of feelings, but to live a good life, you know, and to be good to the people around me, I want the people around me also to, to feel good and yeah, to have compassion for others, to never believe my own story too much that it stops me from having compassion for others and what they're experiencing. And to hopefully have the health and the ability to keep on singing for as long as I can, because whether I sing, you know, at home or whether I sing on stage, I always want to continue to sing and to, yeah, have that connection with God and hopefully share it with others. So let's hope that that can, that can still happen for as long as possible until I'm dead in the grave, as they say in the blues songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, word, because that, that, that's one more huge advantage of being a musician that provided that our health serves us, we can keep doing it until we drop. Yes. And luckily <laughs> with the blues, especially you can get like old and fat and still sing and everybody will still come out to the show. <laughs> If you're in the pop world, you know, at some point you might like, might be done. It know? might be different, similar as, as you, when you're a professional sport, sportsman or woman, you know. That's right. At some point it's done and we are lucky not to be in that position. Yeah. And just it made me think of just one last thing that I didn't really touch on, which is just Please. about the blues itself. And, and a lot of people think that blues music is, is only about, you know, pain and, and that originally it was about sort of, yeah, you know, just singing about like the sadness or the pain in, in life. And really what the blues was there for, if you read, you know, books about, you know, historians that have written books on blues and sort of the, the idea behind blues and also the chain gang songs originally where blues sort of came from, which I think also like ties into gospel, is that it was always actually about like getting away from that hard feeling, you know, and talking about those difficult things but with always like a hopeful piece at the end or like this bit of this kind of like little glimmer of light, you know, in the darkness. And I think that that's also why I've resonated with the blues so much and why I've always loved it. Because even though you can touch on really, you know, heavy subjects and you can sing like your heart out from your, you know, from your deepest, darkest pain and, and memories and experiences, you know, there's always like this hopeful piece to the story that you're telling when you're singing the blues, you know, and that's, yeah, the history of it too is, is it's all about that. So I guess I resonate really well with that as a Gemini, because also why I answered gray on the question of black or white is because I've always been sort of caught in between these two sides of my personality, the one that is hopeful and positive and the one that can be very cynical and, and pessimistic. So, you know, of course I've had like good days and bad days, But, you know, today I was feeling a bit down about, you know, having to change uh, the flight to Canada to next year or feeling that that was the best choice for myself. But like, I really feel like lifted up by talking to an old friend. And so I appreciate the, the chance to have the interview with you a lot, Armin. Same here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So then I would say 
Thank you very much for <laughs> taking the time to be my guest today. I really enjoy it very much. And, you know, it's, it's really great to connect in this way also, in addition to all the other connections we built over the years. And yeah, so thank you. And if there would be something, you know, some kind of final words you would like to point to our listeners, feel free to do so. Yeah, it's hard because I guess I kind of feel like I've said a lot already throughout <laughs> the interview that touches on, you know, on that. But I guess, you know, just take it one day at a time. Everybody out there, no matter what your circumstance or situation is, you know, remember that there's a lot of other people experiencing the same thing that you are, even though it might not feel that way. And you'll feel alone lots of times in, in, in life, and especially with all of the changes that are coming. I think that you're not alone. Don't let anyone tell you you're alone. You know, we're in this together. And I hope that everyone will enjoy the new record. And, you know, that that my message will be gentle in that album. That we're here. We're in a dark time. But now is our opportunity to shine. And like, like I say on one of the songs, you know, to hold a candle in the darkness and, and to shine. You know, that's what's most important. And I hope uh, that everybody will be okay out there because I know it's not it's not easy. People are scared and concerned about what's to come. But all you have to do is the same thing I said with the music business or anything is just put one step in front of the other and keep going and don't give up. That's what we're going to do. That's right. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Armin. I just enjoyed it very much. Me too. Thank you. And uh, yeah, see you very soon. And bye-bye. Yeah. Make some music together. Sounds great. Yeah, huh? finally. Look, looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. You have been listening to Talking Spirits Podcast, episode number 28 with Armin Alic and Leila Zog. Due to my very intense touring schedule until the end of this year, in the third season, the episodes will not be published weekly. This time around, I'm choosing to go with a kind of freestyle approach. I will be publishing new episodes when they are ready and when I'm at liberty to do the work which needs to be done in order to make it a pleasant experience to you who are taking the time to listen. In any case, the next episode will be out soon and it will be worth listening again as well. Since it is very important to me for this project to remain as free as it is, there will be no commercial breaks and also I have decided against opening a Patreon account. But if you like our offerings and want to support the cause, you can send donations via PayPal to info at talkingspiritspodcast.com. Any help is highly appreciated and will be used to cover the maintenance costs of the project. Thanks a lot for being with us today and see you again very soon.